I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And the hip is doing just fine. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to The Passing Shot, your tennis catch-up podcast. This week, Feliciano Lopez is the king of queens, capturing both the singles and doubles titles with a returning Andy Murray. Roger Federer beats David Goffin for a 10th Halle title in Germany. Ash Barty becomes women's world number one with victory in Birmingham. Sophia Kennan saves championship points to beat Belinda Bencic in Mallorca. And elsewhere, the Wimbledon wildcards are announced and Andy Murray is looking for a mixed doubles partner. Let's play. Do you know, Kim, I think I have a good shout with being Andy Murray's mixed doubles partner at Wimbledon. Yeah, well, I think you might look quite fetching in a skirt, Joel. Um, <laughs> I think everyone, though, is coming out of the woodwork saying that, oh, I'll be Andy Murray's mixed doubles partner. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, why would you turn him down? It is a bit strange. Um, I think the latest one to come out saying that they've turned him down was uh, Kiki Mladenovic, who was actually one of our suggestions on our Twitter poll. Uh, little did we know that he'd already asked her. Well, I mean, I'm terrible at tennis, so I know that I definitely would not be a good option. But yeah, I, I hope he kind of finds someone soon. <laughs> um, I've just had a nice gin and tonic this evening uh, with some fever tree tonic in celebration of today's results. And I think we should begin at Queen's because I think that's kind of on everyone's lips at the moment with what's gone down today this weekend Unbelievable. Um, be mad there's <laughs> yeah, it, been I mean there's so much to talk about we could obviously start with the doubles but let's let's start with the singles because we had I think yeah we had a really good final between two players that we were not expecting and I don't think you would expect in 2019 especially for this to be a final on the ATP tour out of 500 at Queen's but hey, we had Feliciano Lopez versus Gilles Simon, uh, with Lopez coming out uh, the victor, 6-2, 6-7, Great match. Lopez has been <laughs> featured heavily in, in Queens this week. And I think, I think I love the fact that the start of the tournament, Kim, complete washout, yes. total disaster, loads of rain, matches being delayed to the next day. But we've ended on a really high note with the weather and uh, a great final. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I mean, I was kind of expecting it to end on a last set tie break because, I mean, the last two matches that Feliciano Lopez and Gilles Simon have played on grass 
went three sets. Um, they last played, I think, at the 2013 Eastbourne final on grass. And actually, Lopez had won all their previous matchups on grass. But I think, you know, if, if people hadn't heard of Feliciano Lopez before this week, uh, despite him having won this title two years ago, they would definitely have heard of him, you know, after how much he featured, uh, you know, the last five matches on centre court. Uh, yeah. had Lopez in I mean it's it's just insane I think the funniest thing uh, which will remain in my memory was Saturday his his treble stint and you know he went off for like a quick shower after his singles before resuming the doubles uh semi-final oh no quarterfinal even and um and then he just stayed on court for the semi and it was just he was on court for almost five hours and you know at an ATP 500 you don't expect expect that to be the case it's just classic he needs scenes a, yeah and and also he was he was a wild card you yeah know, he wouldn't have got in on his ranking but to win the tournament as a wild card i don't think that's happened um since uh i think it was 1997 uh pete sampras oh sorry 1999 pete sampras was the last man to win queens as a wild card but it just again shows you very rare thing to do and then yeah to win the singles and doubles titles as well. Very rare thing to do. I mean, I don't know in the context of a whole season, uh, you know, this might be probably the only time it happens. It's, it is that kind of rare, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, maybe winning the singles and the doubles in the same week isn't... I mean, it is rare, but it's, it has certainly... I think it happens maybe more than you might think. But the fact that I think the the frequency of the matches and because of the weather, <laughs> it all being like crammed in to the weekend, basically... It was a bit, you know, that's what kind of stood out really. And especially like people going on about how old Lopez is, 37, you know, it's he's not a spring chicken. And, you know, he said himself, like he's barely played this year. He, he was injured at the start of the year, hasn't done awfully well. His rankings really dropped. He's not really played consecutive matches. So to suddenly put this strain on the body, I mean, I don't know how his recovery is going to be after, but I don't think he cares. I, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't forsake what has happened this week for anything, would you? I mean, it's just like a dream. Um, yeah, and and I think what's interesting is that the the matches the, the matches that stand out for me, you know, obviously the final, um, but also the the semi the semi final as well between um, between Simon and uh, Simon and I think it was is it Med was it Medvedev in the semis that was in the semi yeah they had uh, yeah. epically long rallies yeah <laughs> it, it, exactly and it was like this was uh, yeah looking at this on a grass court the, the final as well you know we were treated to some almost like chess play it was like you know rallies that you know points that consistently went you know 10 plus strokes it wasn't sort of uh, you know I know Lopez has a, a, a big serve but it was very nice and very pleasing on the IC kind of points being played like almost like constructively. This wasn't a kind of race to kind of hit a winner. This was kind of moving your opponent about on the court um, and getting into the best position boss possible to, to, to win the point and, and force an error from the opponent. Yeah. It didn't really feel like a conventional grass court match. So it was nice, I guess that, um, you know, spectators and viewers at home had, you know, slightly different styles and, and matches. I mean, Simon as well, you know, we say Lopez is, is tired, but Simon probably wasn't also the freshest today in the final because he had the longest match in Queen's history um, in the quarterfinals, three hours, 20 minutes against Mahu, who, you know, incidentally is another player that has always done well at Queen's. 
um, and has quite a history and, you know, did well to get to the quarters this week. Um, for me, though, the other semi-final, uh, Lopez, of course, against Felix OJ Aliasim, FAA. Um, FAA. FAA, yeah. you could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only was there, what, a 19-year age difference, if I'm calculating correctly, but um, Feliciano Lopez, he was the tournament director of, of the Madrid Masters this year. Like He's already sort of begun his post-playing career, if you like. He gave FAA a wild card into Madrid. So I just thought it was so sort of ironic that, you know, then Feliciano Lopez himself as a wild card then ended up playing FAA in the semifinals, beating him. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's old enough to be his dad. So it's just, uh, I thought that was great. And I don't know, I just think it's such a heartwarming thing to see, isn't it? Someone maybe that tennis has not written off, but you don't expect to to see playing, you know, the, some of their best tennis again. And here he, you know, sweeps, sweeps all the titles. It, it's, it's, it's so, it's, it's so, it was just such a lovely story. And I think it's one that I will, uh, you know, as a tennis fan, actually really remember, because it's just, I don't know, I, I, I think you would have to not have a heart to like not have felt good feelings <laughs> to what like Feliciano Lopez has done this week. And I think it's, it's, I think what's so great about it is that, it, I think it kind of shows you that you can still, if you can get, um, you know, specialists on surfaces, you know, I think this was a, this tournament kind of proved that, you know, Feliciano Lopez is a Spanish player, actually plays better on grass than on clay. And, you know, he's won this tournament before and he's won it again, regardless of where he is in the rankings, he can just play much higher above that ranking on a grass court. And it's, you know, it's great to see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, he's been awarded a wildcard into Wimbledon, thankfully. So um, I'm just gutted that him and Andy are not going to be teaming up for the doubles at Wimbledon. <laughs> I think they're a great team. I mean, I, we're getting onto this later. Andy's said he's going to be playing with um, Marcelo Mello in Eastbourne and, and Pierre Hugues Herbert in, at, you know, Wimbledon. But I personally am loving this Lopez Murray partnership. But um, we'll. Uh, well, should we should we just discuss the doubles final now, Joel? Because I mean, Andy Murray, you know, didn't really know what to expect coming back. You know, how would the hip be? Um, what you know, what would his form be like? But I mean, <laughs> I don't think anyone really foresaw him winning the title. Like when he first stepped onto court, maybe on the third was it the Thursday he finally got on got on court. Yeah, especially like when the draw took place. We you know they got drawn against the top seeds in. Cabal and Farah mm. and you know a very accomplished doubles pair you know it, I felt like it was almost going to be they would do well to kind of maybe even win a set in, in that match but yeah yeah they they came through that and they, yeah they just carried that momentum and it 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 was almost too good to be true I know I kept sort of thinking is this really happening like I know in our uh, preview episode like for Queen's I definitely said, oh, I don't see them winning that. <laughs> and it's just, oh, it's just funny. Um, really funny. But I just, well, I mean, I, I don't know what he'll be like, you know, in Eastbourne with, with Mello. I mean, I think obviously Feliciano Lopez was on fire this week. So I think that really helped having, you know, an extremely uh, informed partner. But yeah, Murray was so like fired up. He really wanted it, didn't he? Like it was so nice to see that and to have him back on court competing, you know, it really made me realise, oh, how much 
yeah, you know, we all miss seeing Andy on court doing what he does best. Yeah, and that was his... He has won doubles titles before, but I think that was the first time he's won a doubles title since 2011 Tokyo Open when he won with Jamie Murray. And actually, I think that day he beat Nadal in the singles final as well. I think I, I, for some reason, I just remember that day. But um, <laughs> He did his I'm own double also, then. <laughs> Single I, I'm double, just also double. wondering, like, what is Jamie Murray thinking right now? Because he came out and said, look, I want to win Wimbledon. Like, therefore, I'm not, don't really want to play with my brother. Um, and yeah, he's, Andy's now gone and, and won Queens. I feel like, I mean, I feel like it's an inevitable, if they play this well in Eastbourne, if they play this well at Wimbledon, could we see a, a Murray versus Murray face-off? Possibly. I, I think that would be quite entertaining to watch as a... Well, I don't know if people would be that neutral. I'm sure most people would be behind Andy. Um, it's like the final today was against, you know, another Brit, Joe Salisbury, uh, which on any other given day, everyone would have been rooting for Joe, you know. And he did so well to get to the final with with Rajiv Ram. Like, they've got a really good partnership. Like, they've been really playing well this year. Um, so, you know, they beat the Bryans to get into the, into the final, which if the Bryans had got in, it would have been, you know, two metal hips playing in, in one match would, would have been oh, a story oh, in itself. That. But, um, yeah, I mean, credit to Joe and Rajiv for like doing so well this week. But actually one other thing, Joel, do you think if, if Feliciano Lopez had not been partnered with Andy Murray, that he would have pulled out of the doubles I, tournament? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, do, I do think I do think that because, as I said, the the weather did kind of play with the schedule uh, at the beginning of the week, and it did mean that yeah, no, he was kind of doing double duty on on days. And as you said, he played five consecutive matches in a row, and I just wonder he probably felt the pressure of the fact that he was playing with someone who you know in front of his home crowd, coming back from injury. Yeah, there was no way the organisers were going to let him uh, pull out to focus on on the singles, it's, especially when the organisers had obviously given him a wild card. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, in a way, I think the whole kind of singles doubles, it's probably like a, a positive, like symbiotic, you know, effect where they but it probably both, you know, helped him win both in, in the end. But um, let's hear from one of our listeners, Zainab, who is a massive Andy Murray fan. Uh, many listeners might know her as at Zenon21 of Twitter. Um, but she was lucky enough to see Andy uh, return to court. So let's have a have a listen to Zainab. I was able to watch his practice. To see him just back on court was amazing because he was finally free of pain. He was able to move freely. And it was just wonderful to finally see him back. Something which I never thought was going to happen, especially living in Canada and knowing that not that many players had actually come back from the surgery which Andy had had. I was able to see Andy after, have a picture, have a chat with him, give him some Peppa Pig books for his kids, uh, to which he had a huge grin on his face, and tell him that we had tickets for the other days and he's not even playing then, to which he replied, Sorry about that. Ha ha ha. So typical of Andy. Then to my happiness, I was able to get tickets for Thursday, uh, for, sorry, um, for Friday, um, when Andy was actually finally playing and he had won his first round match. I was able to watch him live. The roar 
when Andy came on court at Queen's was deafening. It was amazing. I could not believe that I was finally here watching Andy on his comeback. Did I ever think that I would be watching him coming back in my heart of hearts? Perhaps not. So to watch him play on his comeback was a dream come true. Okay, and just rounding up the rest of the results from Queen's, uh, before we move on, we had Alfie Hewitt defeating Gordon Reid for the wheelchair title. That's the first year, I think, that the wheelchair tournament has has been placed at Queen's. Um, and then we also had an inaugural, um, well, the Paul Hutchins Cup, which was for uh, American and British juniors and Team USA won that one. So, you know, a bit more action for the outside courts, for spectators, uh, which is good. Well, I was just going to add to that, Kim, uh, just quickly jumping back to the singles. There were a few kind of note things to note from elsewhere in the draw earlier on in the competition. I guess start with the, the slightly down news. First of all, uh, Del Potro, you know, listeners may have seen already, uh, faced Shapovalov and won. But in the process, uh, he unfortunately, I think he uh, re-injured his knee, has already had surgery on it, but has put him... Uh, out of Wimbledon I guess the promising news is I you know on his Instagram it looks he's in a lot more high higher spirits now than he was like immediately after the match I think there was almost chat that you know he wasn't even sure if that was you know his last match he'd ever played but um, it seems to be a bit more promising now but yeah Del Potro uh, out of Wimbledon and also Nick Nick Kyrgios Kim what's he been very, doing now <laughs> well he's been playing FIFA till 3am before uh before playing tennis matches which uh didn't didn't help his uh didn't help his cause he's been um on his phone at changeovers he's been watching other matches uh whilst his matches is going on um I think he's <laughs> he's thrown his racket um oh. over the fence he's done he's done a lot of things you know he had an, he had an all right you know he had an all right tournament but yeah again just some antics that got him in trouble I think he got didn't he got fined as well didn't he he lost 70% of his uh, prize money due to fines for all his unsporting behavior um also phones on court are you allowed to have them on during the change of ends like could you just sit there scrolling through twitter I mean I don't I thought there'd be a rule against (laughs) I don't think you're allowed to do that but you know he doesn't care about the rules, so, so, you know. Yeah. So that was uh, Queen's. And then um, we also had a tournament in Halle in Germany. I mean, surprise, surprise, Kim. Uh, Roger Federer won the title. Um, it was a Federer-Goffin uh, final. Federer winning 7-6-6-1, 102nd title. It was his 10th Halle title, which uh, is the most uh, of one event that he has ever won. I think it was equal with Basel and now, yeah, it's standalone Haller, 10 titles. Yeah. Um, and he's the first man to win three titles this season. Um, the oldest to win a title since uh, Ken Roseville in 1977. But who's actually older, Feliciano Lopez or Roger Federer? Because they're both 37. Ooh, I'm not sure when yeah. Lopez's birthday is. Because Federer is almost 38. His birthday is the 8th of August. Actually, that's right. And this, so... this came through <laughs> this this came through before the Queen's final. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, so that um... might need updating. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like Halla this week was like, not boring, but, you know, all the drama was in Queen's, right? So I'm like, Halla, Federer winning. Okay. Not Net, a surprise. On. Yeah, like next. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I personally was gunning for Matteo Berrettini, uh, grass court double. You know, he won Stuttgart last week and he got to the semifinals in Halle. Um, he had an eight-match winning streak and then he lost to Goffin. Um, but he's going to be in the top 20 uh, from tomorrow. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday. And I just think, what a revelation. I mean, who would have thought at the start of the year, Matteo Berrettini would be in such good form, especially on grass. Grass court, court specialist. Yeah. Think, yeah very, well. very surprising. But yeah, he's not going to be a, a player people will want to play against. I think his, um, his record in terms of, in, in his eight match winning streak, he only lost serve once, I think. Mm. Um, he held serve 83 of 84 occasions and he only lost serve once uh, to, to Seppi in, in round two at Haller. So yeah, he, it sounds like he's got an absolute, his, his service game is working really well for him. And obviously on a grass court, that is going to put you in, in very good stead. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see come Wimbledon, is he a potential dark horse? I mean, I don't, I don't know when it comes to slams, it's a different ball game, but I mm. certainly, I intend to go and try and watch him live because I've, I've not seen him, you know, up close <laughs> in action. So I, he's one of the players I'm really wanting to check, to check out uh, at Wimbledon when I go. Yeah. Uh, I think actually, Kim, also, I just wanted to say, I know it was almost kind of like, yes, Federer won, but I think the biggest, the biggest kind of news in the Federer's, Federer's sphere was, his first round match was against John Millman and he was able to avenge avenge uh, defeat to him um, at the US Open, if, if you remember. Yes. John Millman beat Roger Federer. Yeah. Uh, so he was able to avenge that defeat. Uh, but elsewhere, he, he did have a really kind of, a couple of really kind of stern tests. And he actually had, you know, I think it was potentially match of the tournament, actually. His match against Songa was a really entertaining battle and Songa looked looked very good he looked in very good touch and yeah very and that was a very entertaining match and then also his match against Batista Agut went three sets I think he won 6-4 in the I think it was 6-4 in the third but um yeah he had a few stern tests on the way but Federer Haller it's like you know Barcelona to Rafa or you know Monte Carlo is to Rafa Haller is is to Roger Federer yeah Exactly. Hit the nail on the head. Um, <laughs> let's go over to the WTA circuit because we have a new women's world number one. Um, the Barty party keeps on going. Uh, Ash Barty, new world number one, winner of Birmingham, uh, 12 match winning streak, third title of the year. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, <laughs> she's backed up, you know, her maiden slam win uh, by jumping straight over to the grass and, you know, is, is unbeaten on grass. Um, really sensational. Um, she didn't drop a set this week, you know, didn't show any sign of sort of nerves or pressure, I suppose, after having won Roland Garros. I mean, I don't know if that will change going into Wimbledon, you know, as, as I guess she'll be the number one seed. Um, but I mean, well, what a player. I think it's a great story and she, you know, if anyone deserves, I feel like Ash Barty does. She's just such a lovely person and a great competitor. Yeah, it absolutely fantastic. Uh, fantastic for her. As you said, I think the most, for me, the most impressive thing is the fact that, you know, she's gone from clay to grass and won two, you know, two titles, two different surfaces, uh, can, you know, uh, one after the other. 
and that kind of versatility and that kind of you know ability to go from you know one extreme to the other you know is very impressive you know we've got to remember ash barty may 2016 she didn't even have a world ranking she mm. was unranked <laughs> and to think you know three years later she's uh world number one it's it's a it's a you know, it's a rise up the game that yeah, I think few of us, you know, few of us were were expecting. Yeah, exactly. And actually, there's you know not many players on the men's or women's side that have, have done that sort of clay to grass crossover. I mean, just to name a few, Serena Williams has has done it. Uh, Chris Evert, Margaret Court, Navratilova, Steffi Graf, Justine Ennan. So she has joined quite an esteemed uh, list of of women you know, with that transition. Um, but it was nice, it's a nice final. She beat Yulia Gerges 6-4-7-5. Um, and they were actually paired in the doubles together this week, but they pulled out of the semi-final. Um, I'm assuming not to kind of overwork either of them so they could focus on the singles. Um, but yeah, absolutely fantastic for Barty. Um, and she replaces, you know, Naomi Osaka as the world number one, who didn't have the greatest of weeks. She lost in the second round to Putintseva in uh, straight, straight sets. Set. Didn't go to press after her loss. So I'm, I'm not really sure where her head's at, or where her game's at. I mean, it's probably just as well she's going into Wimbledon not as the number one seed. She doesn't have as much pressure on her or as, as much expectation. I I completely agree. And it will be it will be interesting to see how, again, how Ash Barty kind of deals with the position as top dog as world number one because I think with you know Osaka's reign if you look at it she got there but when she as you know as world number one we didn't actually see her play her best tennis and again now that she's kind of you know is the pressure off now because she's not you know number one it's not in you know maybe it's not in her head anymore and she can actually just get on with you know playing tennis that you know seen her you know win win grand slam championships yeah, definitely. Um, just another note from Birmingham this week, um, which I quite quite liked, was uh, we had twins playing against each other. So Christina Pliskova and Karolina Pliskova uh, faced off. I think it was in the second round, um, and oh, Christina absolutely. actually mm. won that, and she's the she's the much lower ranked uh, of the two twins. Yeah, that was an absolute absolute battle wasn't it yeah six two three six seven six um it was her it was christina pushkova's first top five win i guess to get it to get it against your sister <laughs> that's, a, that's a little bit of icing on the cake isn't it yeah i mean it was nice because at the net you know at the beginning of the match they were just like laughing and joking so i think it must be quite a relaxed relaxed uh I don't know. I guess with some siblings, they probably feel like more stressed playing each other. But I felt with them too, they just were like loving it. So that was quite I, nice to see. And I did love, I think the scoreboard, uh, I did love the scoreboard. I think it was just like, I, I've seen a, a few of list, a few of our listeners have been posting on, on Instagram uh, photos at, at Birmingham. And the scoreboard is literally <laughs> K, K Pishkova versus K Pishkova. Yeah. Not doing much to kind of, uh, yeah, to... Um, to separate, to split out the two. And just another note this week, Ostapenko, she actually beat Conta in the second round. Oh, um, Ostapenko. I know, what I know. against Martic? Well, oh, my God. Yeah, Ostapenko made her first quarterfinal actually since Wimbledon last year. Lost to Martic in the quarters. She she had five match points and then Petra Martic managed to, oh, um, she will be to come through. 
kicking herself. But I feel like, you know, Ostafenko, yeah, when she puts her game together, she's very dangerous, as we know, when she won the French Open. So it's just a bit of a dangerous floater, I think, for, for Wimbledon. Um, Penko power. Yeah, she's Penko marking. power is she's back. making a bit of, yeah, she's getting a bit of form going into, the, into Wimbledon. Uh, but let's move over to Mallorca. So the fine grass courts of, of Mallorca. Sophia Kenin, uh, she beat Belinda Bencic in the final. Um, six, seven, seven, six, six, four. Again, saving three championship points. So I think we had an, another final recently with Alison Reesk, um, defeating Kiki Burton, saving match points. And it's happened again with, uh, Sophia Kenin capturing her second title of the season and, you know, kind of backing up has her sort of breakthrough on the tour. Um, and yeah, great final. And uh, yeah, Sophia Kenin definitely, well, going into Wimbledon, I'm, I'm again intrigued. She's another player that I want to go and, and see up close and, and in person because, you know, what she's sort of been making what, waves <laughs> lately. Kim, what I love about that final is that it, it happened, obviously it happened today and they're both on the order of play for Eastbourne tomorrow. So Is that actually going to happen? Quick... I mean... Well, I looked at the schedule. They're both last on. Yeah, on okay. Their, so they've on allowed... their respective ports. So, you yeah. know, they can get their... Yeah. time to get their flights. But it was... Yeah. I, you know, I feel like the, the trophy ceremony probably in, in Mallorca was just like, collect my trophies, <laughs> go to the airport. Yep. I know. Yeah. Get on my plane uh, and get to the UK as quick as possible. To be fair, uh, there's lots of flights from Palmer to Gatwick and then Gatwick to Eastbourne is is quite quick. So I'm actually sure they're probably in their Eastbourne hotels as we speak. Um, We're recording this late on a Sunday. (laughs) But yeah, it's um, Mallorca, um, Sevastava, probably the other biggest story. Um, Sevastava has made the final there every year of the tournament. Uh, which is the last three years, but she she lost in the semi-finals. So that was like obviously the biggest shock that she didn't make her fourth straight final in Mallorca. I, Kim, I thought the biggest shock would be that Maria Sharapova didn't come back and, and win the title oh, on, what? Her, on her re- return from injury. Like Andy Murray did. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, she lost to Kerber quite comfortably. Um, and actually yeah, was I was expecting... Routine, yeah, I was expecting Kerber to go all the way. When, you know, Kerber beat Caroline Garcia, Sharapova. I thought, oh, Kerber's peaking. You know, it's grass court. She's peaking. She's going to defend Wimbledon. But then, yeah, she <laughs> fell in three sets to Benchich. So, um, I mean, I certainly think Kerber's one to obviously put right up there in your predictions for Wimbledon. <laughs> um, the other thing I noticed was Alison Reesk, you know, recent uh, her Togenbosch champion. She lost in the first round to a Spanish wild card. Paola Bedosa so I guess Risk was probably just a bit fatigued after having won two titles on the trot going into Mallorca. It's still quite crazy how you can go from one high to what to one low and do you know what if if um if uh Benchich and Kenin both play tomorrow it'll be fantastic to see if they could both if they both win or if uh if Kenin's gonna go from that high like like Reese has from winning um saving three match points to losing to you know whoever it is in the first round of, of <laughs> we shall see we shall see um well i think that's time for our next segment joel which actually is maybe going to become our favorite segment uh, <laughs> i think we should cue some awful singing now uh for our mysterious player um segment oh, oh, oh. mysterious player Great. Yeah. 
okay i just i'm just gonna go now you can carry on singing uh <laughs> maybe i'll do it well yeah i'll do it next time i won't i won't let you embarrass yourself any further <laughs> okay right so i've been working really hard to like try and and get you back from last week so are you ready I am ready. And for, for any any new listeners, Mysterious Players, basically, Kim is going to give me clues to a male or female tennis player that are going to get uh, progressively easier, going to start off more difficult. And I've got to try and guess the, the player. I gave her Mackenzie McDonald last week. So I'm going to hopefully try and do better than than Kim did. I mean, Kim, I had to give you all my clues. So I feel like the bar, the bar has been set low. Yeah, well, we'll see. Okay, right. (laughs) Clue number one. (laughs) Okay. I need to do my best like quiz master voice now. Okay. I reached the Wimbledon semi-finals as a wild card. Um. Wimbledon semi-finals. I wanted to say Goran Ivanisevic. Uh, well, he did a bit better mm, than the semi-finals, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark Philippoussis? No. Oh, okay. Next. Okay. My highest career ranking is number 12. Oh. Uh... Number 12. I've, I've, no, I've not in. Uh, next. My career has been plagued by injuries. <laughs> oh, a wild card. Hmm. Yarko Niemann. <laughs> Since when did he get to the Wimbledon <laughs> semi finals? I want to believe. Maybe I in the doubles. <laughs> um, number 12. Uh, Nicholas Kiefer? No. Why are you why are you oh. thinking it's a man? Did you say it was a woman? I didn't I have not mentioned anything about gender oh, yet. Okay. Oh, okay. It could be um... Next clue. Uh, is is oh. Sabine Lizicki. Oh for Pete's sake, is it? Joel. Is it? Yes, it bloody well is. Come on. Now, I I've I've researched like eight clues and you get it after four. <laughs> yes. Oh. Yes. What Damn. just what were your other what were your other clues? Well, seeing as you know so much about her, you can tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she's German? No, the clues were I played my first Grand Slam at the Australian Open 2008. I set the world record for a female serve. In July 2014. Can oh, you guess? Okay, one. guess how fast the serve was. 126? No, higher. Oh, 131? Correct. Hmm, oh. suspicious. I am coached by my dad. Um, I've resided and trained in Florida since 2004. And then, okay, the most obvious clue. Can you guess what that would have been? I won Wimbledon. No, Sabina Sicky has not won Wimbledon. Does she not? She, does she get to the <laughs> final of Wimbledon? I reached my one and only Grand Slam final in 2013, uh, losing to Barry and Bartley. At Wimbledon, was that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. See, no. as soon as I mentioned injuries and female players, you got it. Because ugh, I was, I shouldn't have mentioned injury. I should have gone with my was, even well, harder clues. Yeah, oh. well. Here we go. <laughs> well, I... I'm going to 
uh, right. So I, I think I've won round you're, round one. Yeah, you're one nil up. I'll so, give you uh, your due. <laughs> <laughs> so let's. Uh, yeah. All right. Back back to me for next week. Um. But yeah, if if any of our listeners actually, if they've got any clues or any players that they you know want want to suggest uh for me to to challenge Kim, uh, feel free to to share them with us. Um, you can uh, email the show uh, passingshotpod at gmail.com or you can get in touch on Twitter uh, at passingshotpod. Great stuff. So let's go back to um, to Brits on tour uh, and see what all our British players have been up to. Let's start. Losing. Well, <laughs> okay, hang on. Andy Murray. Andy Murray um, did not lose. Thank you very much. Um, well, Sorry. Joe Conter, okay, out of the women, Joe Conter's the only female to have won the grass court match, pretty much in the main draw anyway. Uh, you know, she she won a round at Birmingham, then fell in the second round to Ostapenko. And she's won she... her match today at Eastbourne against Yas- Yastremska. Yastremska. I think she has a really, uh, she has a, really bad relationship with round two at Birmingham I I think I don't think she's ever progressed past round two for for whatever reason it is and obviously that continued uh (laughs) that continued this year but yeah she does not have a good uh love affair with round two at Birmingham it's probably because she's saving herself for Eastbourne which like is her home tournament yeah exactly uh but we also had Harriet Dart um Losing Birmingham first round, Heather Watson lost in the first round. Uh, Queens, we had all of our four British men um, losing uh, in the first in the first round. I mean, James Ward probably I would say did the best of them because he almost beat Jill Simon in round yeah. one, who obviously then got to the final. So um, that was, you know, a really good, a really good shout. And actually, James Ward has qualified for the main draw at Eastbourne as has Paul Job, So they're both in the main draw and they had really good uh, results today, actually. Job beat uh, Andre Rublev, who is, is he, is he in the top hundred? Would that yep. be? Number, number yeah. 81, number yeah. 81. Yeah. So that was a, yeah. And he also beat Den, uh, Dennis Istomin, one of your, one of your One favorites. of my favorites. Yes. Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Dennis. I think Dennis had a match point in that. Um, oh. and James Ward qualified beating Dennis Kudler, who's, you know, no, uh, slacker on a grass court and also mm. Lloyd Harris. Uh, I think he saved a match point against Harris as well. So yeah, really good that they both qualified and they're both mm. playing tomorrow as we, uh, record I'm, this. I'm almost a bit surprised by how well James Ward is, mm. is playing. Cause, uh, yeah, he, he nearly beat, he very nearly beat Simon in, in Queens I know. and, He's continuing that form now in the in the main draw at Eastbourne, and uh, I think he got given a wild card in, into qualifying there. But he he mm. took apart Cudler. I think it was like two and three, and and Cudler was like the I think he was like the second or, th- or third seed in qualifying. So yeah, he is uh, he is playing some very good tennis at the moment. Yeah, and arguably better tennis than Kyle Edmund, maybe uh, on a grass court. Who mm. you know he lost to Sitsipas at Queens. He's taken a wild card into Eastbourne, so I mean he obviously needs more matches going into Wimbledon um and yeah Dan Evans and Cam Norrie also in action in Eastbourne um hopefully they'll do better than they did in Queens um but yeah Paul Job I'm so excited for Paul Job because you know he was at the Ilkley uh, Challenger as well last week he won two matches there and lost to Dennis Novak again I think Dennis Novak had beaten him 
in uh, Nottingham before. Um, but yeah, he was the only kind of Brit to really, well, he went the furthest out of all of them up in Ilkley. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, all, all eyes on Eastbourne really this week for British players. And let's hope they can have some better results than, than last week. <laughs> well, Eastbourne started today for the for the women. Oh and... gosh, it did, didn't it? I've completely forgotten the fact that Harriet Dark, Katie Swan and Heather Watson have all lost today. Yeah, <laughs> not not a great start. So we're going into the Monday and I think like the women's draw has almost been decimated with, with British interest apart from Conta. Mm. Um, so not, not the greatest start, but again, with the men, I'm kind of a, a bit more optimistic with with James Ward, Cam Norrie. Hopefully, I'm you know I'm probably the most concerned with uh, Kyle Edmund because you know he needs to get some he needs to get some victories under his belt and and maybe you know at Eastbourne where you know he could go could go deep. So hopefully, hopefully he can he can figure out you know what he's been, what's been missing from his game over the last kind of few months and, and get back to get back to where he was. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, that brings us to our fan eye segment. Uh, so we heard from Zainab earlier in the show. Call this nepotistic, Joel. <laughs> but <laughs> my dad went to Eastbourne, and um, love it, love it. Let's let's hear from my dad and about his experience uh, on the grass on the south coast. Now, for court two, there were four matches. Um, two I'm going to mention, which uh, um, impressed me really. The first one was uh, the opening game between. Fiona Ferro of France and the well-known Eugenie Bouchard of Canada. Um, Ferro started off serving, lost her service game, and I thought uh, Bouchard was going to take the upper hand, but uh, Ferro fought back and took the first set 6-2 and then went on to demolish Bouchard uh, six love in the second set. And what impressed me about it was she's got a clinical forehand and she unleashed several... Um, shots down the line a bit Andy Murray style uh, to finish Bouchard off and the whole match was over in just under an hour um, later up in the day uh, was British wildcard Freya Christie who was up against uh, a Ukrainian girl called Diana Yastromanska if I can pronounce that right I know what you're you have problems with some of the pronunciation. Well, however, there's some 500 places in the world rankings between these two. And I thought this was going to be a complete annihilation after Diana won the first set, six love. But all credit to Freya, she never gave in and took the second set to a tie break, which she unfortunately eventually lost. Generally, Eastbourne has a nice, uh, relaxed feel about it. Players and coaches can be found mingling amongst the public um, and I've stood next to some fairly big names or they weren't big names at the time in the past um, before leaving I finished off my uh, visit to the tennis with a, a walk around the um, small supporting stands there and one of my favorites which Kim I know you know well is the tennis gallery one that supplies all sorts of tennis literature, books, calendars, souvenirs, etc. And for those of you going to Wimbledon shortly, if you're into that sort of thing, want any tennis literature, the Tennis Gallery have their shop based in Arthur Road, Wimbledon, SW19, not a million miles from the ground. So that's quite handy. And to finish off the day in style as we did, 
um, somewhere else that Kim knows fairly well because uh, we've been there several times together um, is the Italian restaurant round the corner in Cornfield Terrace, short walk from the ground, called the Pomodoro Mo- Mozzarella. Somewhere where it's frequented all by tennis stars and coaches, you get a great meal, not extortionate prices, a lovely place to eat and finish the day off. I'd recommend it totally to any tennis fans. I mean, the night uh, I was in there, we had Dennis Istamin coming in, Caroline Wozniacki, Camilla Georgie. You've seen them all in there. Um, it's, and it's a great atmosphere. Um, if you're going later in the evening, I, I, I try and book a table, but... Uh, we managed to go um, early at six, no problems. Uh, and my final tips to, for going to Eastbourne, I would say is from previous experience, if you're booking tickets for Centre Court, I would always, always, always go for the East Stand because if the matches go long in the day and the sun starts to drop, the East Stand stays sunny a lot longer than the west side of the ground. Um, I've sat there in T-shirt in the sun while people in the west stand have been wrapping up in coats and blankets so that would be my final tip uh, my next tennis outing is going to be uh, uh, the Roehampton qualifiers I've got two days there to look forward to so thanks Kim and Joel for giving me this opportunity to uh, give you a few tips I hope they've been of use and uh, bye for now and dinner with Dennis Istamin. what more could you want Joel um, I have to say to all listeners um, it's a great restaurant that my dad is talking about. Eastbourne's a fantastic tournament. It's one of my favourites. Um, I wish I could have gone this year. And also for anyone going to Wimbledon, um, the tennis gallery um, is a fantastic little shop and you can get some really nice uh, tennis gifts in there, some some like treasures from the past, some relics. They've got like old programmes, like DVDs of like your favourite matches, um, some really nice stuff in there. So do check it out if you're in the area. Uh, I think that brings us on to school board stories, Joe. What do you have for me this week? <laughs> well, Kim, school board stories and some obscure facts from you from the tennis world uh, this week. Uh, I've got two for you. Um, again, I've delved into the ITF challenger circuit. Uh, I've gone over to America. Uh, there was a 15K event in Orlando. And... It specifically, uh, it concerns the men's doubles draw. And we had not something you see every day. Uh, Andrew Lake and Thomas Lake uh, in the doubles draw. Um, and you're probably wondering, oh, that's a really good brothers pairing. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> that's a father and son pairing playing a professional doubles match. Uh, they played. John Harrison Richmond and uh, Alan Fernando Rubio Fierros. Great name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, father and son doubles team, which that that is, that's amazing. But we On don't a... actually know their ages because technically that could have been um, Feliciano Lopez playing with <laughs> Felix Oshay-Aliassime. <laughs> like mathematically, that could have, could be a... That's a very good shout. You know, 19-year age gap. Well, I thought that was I thought I thought that was interesting because if I I mean I guess if I play tennis with my dad we yeah when we're, we're not going to be playing at that sort of level it'd probably just be down the park um, and even then that would probably be too high a level uh, for, <laughs> for me and my dad but um, 
yeah, that was uh, that was that kind of stood out to me, which I thought was interesting. Um, and then also uh, on the ATP tour in Halle, there was a great little moment in the match between um, Starkovsky and Huge Herbert. Herbert was serving at one five forty fifteen. Um, he hit a serve that was called out. Um, he wanted to challenge it, had no challenges remaining. So, you know, what do you do in that situation, Kim? You know, you don't get on with it. You ask your opponent, he asked Sarkovsky to challenge on his behalf. <laughs> sorry, which... Joel. Who's Sarkovsky? <laughs> oh, sorry. Sarkovsky. Sarkovsky. I don't know. <laughs> I think I was getting Tchaikovsky in my head, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Maybe that could be our new mysterious player. I'll just, I'll just throw <laughs> in a composer instead. <laughs> my, name sounds, of tennis. my name sounds like a classical musician. Uh, classical. <laughs> that famous class- tennis player, Mozart. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Starkovsky uh, did um, obliged and um, the, the ball was in. So Starkovsky... Lent almost like lent uh, Herbert a challenge and let let Herbert win the game with an ace, <laughs> which is very. You I know, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever seen that before in a in a you know in a match with with Hawkeye. Do you think Ugs um, Herbert and Stakowski like are quite good mates? Do you think that's why he he felt like he could ask him? Because I mean, imagine asking like Kyrgios or I don't know someone who might be like about to bite your head off. Would they be like, uh, no way am I you know gonna use one of my challenges to help you um but like I love that he you know did that I think that's great um very yeah, entertaining I, yeah I feel like if I feel like the crowd must have been like really confused mm, as yeah. in terms of like what's going on uh oh, so dear. uh but anyway let's let's see I'd love to see that more of that Let, let's see if we 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 have any of those happen at, at Wimbledon but um yeah that that happened at, at a Halle between Hughes Heber and Tchaikovsky. I mean, sorry, Starkovsky. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, I think it's so, time for the wild right, card. Yeah, we need to move on to the wild card. Uh, where are we, we going to be talking about on. composers as tennis? No, <laughs> uh, okay, wild card. We're actually going to be talking about wild cards in the oh. wild card this week uh, because some of the Wimbledon wild cards have been announced. Um, much to some controversy. So for the men, Marcus Bagdatis, James Ward, Paul Jubb, Jay Clark and Feliciano Lopez. Um, we've already discussed Lopez. I think the most worthy wild card at the moment there could ever be. Um, James Ward, Paul Jubb, Jay Clark, fine. Marcus Bagdatis, what, what are your thoughts on that, Joel? Yeah, very interesting. Very... Yeah, I was when I saw this, I was surprised because you know he's not been on the tour as much. You know, if if this is kind of performance related, I'm kind of thinking, well, what what kind of performances has he done on the tour this season that kind of warrant this? Um, or is it or is it more kind of a historical sort of you know Bagdas as a character and you know he does kind of entertain the crowds and and you know I, there's no doubt that you know fans will kind of cheer for him and he's he's got a great game but um it, it yeah it just feels a bit kind of yeah just a bit a bit odd based on if you base it on his performance this season I, I wouldn't say it, it warranted a Wimbledon wild card you know a wild card into Wimbledon that's you know it's not kind of just kind of 
thrown about to any old any old player, is it? Because you know they are actually very very valuable um, positions. I mean, Baghdad has he got to what a semi final like twelve years ago at Wimbledon? Has he done much there since? I mean, I think that's a very nostalgic selection, and I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I don't think it's justified in terms of form or results. I I feel more justified if it went to ne- uh, Nicholas Mahu, who had yeah. an excellent had an excellent Queen's tournament. He came through qualifying, uh, had that match against Simon, which you know, to be honest, could have gone either way. Lost, you know, lost to the finalist. And you know, if we're talking about players who, you know, potentially have set, you know, you know, I've seen people say that you know, Bergdartis might have told the organisers, oh, this is going to be my last event. Please give me a wild card. Well, you know, Mahu is, I think, you know, is he 36, 37 years old? You know, he can't be far off his last event as well. So, you know, kind of the same sort of reasoning. You know, if that is his, you know, last Wimbledon, why not? You know, Nicholas Mahu who. You know, lest we forget, had that absolutely epic match uh, with Isner. You know, it's almost ingrained in in Wimbledon history. It just feels a bit like, you know, it'd be great if he was in the in the main draw. Exactly, um, and also arguably, you could have given it to Jack Draper, who has got a wild card into qualies, but you know, he could have been given a, a wild card into the main draw. Um, the other, there are other wild cards going, I think, to the winners of the Ilkley Challenger. So for the women, that's Monica Nicolescu, who beat Tamea Babosh today. And for the men, Dominic Kupfer won Ilkley. So I'm assuming he gets a wild card. Um, but other than that, Wimbledon seemed to then just give the last, I think, two wild cards to like the next direct entries into the draw. And for the men, that's like Misha Zverev and Guido Andreozzi. Um, you know, neither of which are players in any form. I mean, we discussed Misha Zverev <laughs> we discussed that, didn't we? last week, how he had only won one match in like the last year, basically. So I just, I think that's a very interesting decision from the All England Club. Um, and actually, we should mention the women's wildcards um, have been announced. Eager Swiatek, so the junior Wimbledon champion from last year. Katie Swan, Harriet Dart and Heather Watson. So, you know, I agree with all of them, of course, but you know, there are many people who say, well, actually, you know, these other wild cards, why don't they give them to more British players? I mean, there's plenty of other British players, Katie Dunn, um, Fran Jones, we talked about her last week, like, you know, give give them a chance. Um, you know, surely it's, it's, you know, the fact that you've got wild cards, is it not to help some of your home players? I mean, not to say that Brits should, you know, be entitled to them, but certainly if they've proven their form with some you know good consistent results I think they should get rewarded in some way um, yeah and I think I think you know I think if you look back like five ten years ago I think you know there was a little bit of that you know Brits felt like that there was like an entitlement to it um and I think we've kind of you know we've got we've got away from that but at the same time you know I think particularly with someone like Jack Draper who you know he did really well in the boys singles last year you know, we want to give him, you know, experience of, you know, playing against the, you know, against the top guys, you know, in front of his home crown, get him inspired. And, you know, I think a, a wild card can, can do that in terms of, you know, it gets, it gets him into that main draw, it gets him into, you know, into the event and, you know, in front of like as many people as possible. So, 
you know, loads of people actually have heard the, you know, the name Jack Draper outside of kind of, you know, niche tennis circles. He's actually in the more broader, you know, the, you know, the broader public spectrum. Exactly, exactly. I mean, let's hope he qualifies, uh, you know, proves his worth. Uh, interestingly, Leighton Hewitt was also given a doubles wild card. I mean, this guy is just not retiring. <laughs> he, I thought he retired about 20 years ago, but still he goes on. But yeah, the fanatics will be happy anyway. Um, yeah, so in other news, we, we mentioned earlier, Andy Murray is going to be playing with Pierre-Hugues Hébert, um, in, in Wimbledon, um, which caused a bit of distress maybe to Nicholas Mahou, who, you know, was PHH's regular doubles partner. And then I believe that they, you know, split up so that a PHH could focus on his singles. So I guess for Mahou to then find out, oh, he's going off with Andy Murray, well, that, you know, that's a, that hurts, doesn't it? You probably feel quite rejected. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, I can understand with I can understand Mahu's frustration but when Andy you know in, in my head when Andy Murray comes up to you and was like oh hey do you want to play Wimbledon you're not well and you're a man you're not you're not going to say no <laughs> <laughs> but if you're a woman apparently you know every, everyone's rejecting him left right and center yeah it's strange so he's asked Ash Barty who rejected him uh Kiki Mladenovic also rejected him and he said other women have as well. I'm not entirely sure who. Um, and then we've had a few women kind of coming out on social media saying, oh, you know, you could pick me. Um, I don't know if they're joking or being serious, but I mean, other suggestions uh, for Caroline Garcia. You know, we kind of know Murray has a kind of special connection with Garcia with what he said about her years ago. Um, so that'd be quite nice, but she just doesn't play doubles at slams anymore. However, you know, if Murray comes comes knocking, who knows? Um, but yeah, he'll have to make an announcement, I guess, this week. Someone will have to agree agree to it. So um, I guess predictions, please. Anyone else we haven't thought of, like send us your thoughts, guys. Um, but it's kind of become like the, I don't know, the new hot topic. Who Who is Andy Murray going to be partnering with? I mean, Miranda Hart was, was putting herself forward. So yeah, it's anyone's game. I feel like the hot topic is who isn't going to partner Andy Murray. <laughs> yeah. at, at have some like massive knockout, like talent show style selection process where they have to like audition. Um, do you think, I mean, we'll, we'll get onto this, but um, do you think Andy Murray is now a legitimate like challenger for doubles titles at Wimbledon? Well, I think any singles Grand Slam champion can be a legitimate challenger for doubles titles. I mean, yes, maybe someone with a metal hip who is just coming back to play after months off is is a different question. But, I mean, he'll have so much support behind him, momentum. Like, he really, like, wants this. You can sort of see how determined he is and how happy he is, back, you know, to be back playing. I mean... I'd I'd want to be part of that if I was a female tennis player. Certainly. So, but maybe players have got, you know, other fish to fry. So it remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, I think that that brings us to a close for this week. Um, one question that our listener Vikesh um, gave us uh, the other day, which got me thinking, actually. We're in the middle of the British tennis season, Joel. Um, and Vikesh said, 
Uh, dear British tennis fans, does the grass court season annoy you in that everyone is suddenly a tennis expert or fan for a few weeks? Or do you appreciate that at least people are talking, uh, at least people are taking an interest in the sport, albeit fleeting? Um, I totally get where Vikesh is coming from because you get like, I don't know, your, your non-tennis friends suddenly asking you about the tennis and they think, oh yeah, the tennis is on, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, the tennis is actually on all year, uh, but you just don't know about it or you don't care about it in like the middle of November. Um, and it does kind of get my goat a bit. Uh, you get kind of people jumping on the bandwagon. What, what do you think about that? I mean, this sounds like another pet peeve, Kim. <laughs> and I'm going to do a shameless plug for one of our other episodes. Uh, for our <laughs> listeners who haven't listened already, we've actually done uh, an episode, uh, I think the, the previous one to this, on like tennis fans watching live tennis, their biggest pet peeves. And I think one of... <laughs> I think this is another pet peeve is yeah people who think they you know talk about tennis as if they know absolutely everything even though they just kind of look at it for, for two you know two weeks in the year or whatever but um I just think uh, for me it's kind of like it's just kind of it's just kind of the way it is and I actually quite like you know the fact that people are taking an interest you know the, you got to you got to start somewhere yeah um, true and 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 I think kind of for the UK that somewhere is always, you know, going to be Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, it's so iconic. It would be impossible not to uh, to get involved in some way. And I suppose I'm guilty probably of doing it with other sports or, you know, when like the Olympics comes round, athletics diehard fans must be like, but there's athletics on all year. Well, there's Diamond League events, blah, blah, blah. So they probably get just as annoyed. Um but yeah, anyone out there who finds this topic like irritating, does it get your go or are you fine with it? Um, like, tell us your thoughts. Maybe we'll do another episode on this. Um, just, you know, we have so much to get off our chest sometimes, um, as as discussed in our Pet Peeves episode. Um, but yeah, um, so that's that's been it from today. Next time we will be back to discuss what's gone down at Eastbourne. Uh, I mean, Eastbourne is a great tournament, like, Nine of the top 10 women are there. Halep and Kerber were given wild cards. I mean, it's already got underway as, as we're speaking now. Um, interestingly, you know, Andy Murray's there in the doubles with Marcelo Melo. Feliciano Lopez is due to play Pierre Hugues Herbert in the first round of uh, Eastbourne. So that's like a doubles partner face-off. <laughs> um, you know, Andy Murray. Winner gets Andy Murray. Yeah. Winner gets Andy Murray as a doubles partner for life. Maybe. I know. I mean, I'm personally committed to Lopez and Murray, like as a, as a, you know, dream team for life. So I'm, I'm kind of like, oh, fairly all the way. Uh, but yeah, we've got Wimbledon qualifying going down. Antalya as well. There's Antalya ATP 250 going on. So um, lots going on, but Joel, you sadly won't be here next week to, to join myself. Will you? No, it's going to be, it's going to be a solo episode from you, Kim, because I am going to Glastonbury on Wednesday and will be in a muddy field when all of this is going down, including the Wimbledon draw as well. So the next uh, catch up episode you will hear from The Passing Shot will be a solo episode from uh, from Kim. Um, you do realise, Joel, that they don't do classical music at Glastonbury. So your favourite composers aren't going to be there? Well, as long as... Well, I, I'm sure there's... Well, let's... <laughs> let's 
The no. jury's still out. The jury's still out. I'll find some Tchaikovsky and, and think it's Sergei Starkovsky. Um, but also um, watch out for our next episode uh, dropping in the week, um, actually, with the Wimbledon groundsman. We had the, the pleasure of of chatting to the AELTC groundsman, Will Briley, on all things grass courts in the run-up to, to Wimbledon. So uh, look out for that one. Yeah, and Really yeah. interesting, really interesting conversation. I would encourage you to, to listen to it. We'll probably publish it, yeah, during the, the middle of the week. And, yeah, it'll be discussing all things how to make an excellent grass court. Which we all need to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's it from us for today. I'll be back uh, next time for more shenanigans here at The Passing Shot. So thanks for listening and goodbye. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our show. We're supported by every one of our fans in the Passing Shot community. If you want to become one of them and get the latest updates from your tennis catch-up service, then all you need to do is follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you like what you hear, then why not tell your friends or leave us a rating and subscribe? Thanks for listening.